The millennium is a period of a thousand years where Jesus will physically rule the world from his throne in Jerusalem. It will be a time of perfect peace, perfect provision, perfect government, perfect community. It will be everything that mankind has claimed they've wanted since the beginning, and mankind will absolutely hate it. Why is this? And honestly, what's the purpose of this thousand years in God's plan? We'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are wrapping up our short series on the millennium with part two here. And But before we get into that, there's a couple of housekeeping things. One, I want to apologize again for the sound quality of the uh, last episode, as I uh, mentioned during what I mentioned I actually had on the on the video, I was having some audio issues. My microphone stopped working and I had to use computer audio, which was not the greatest sound quality, but it kind of is what it is. So thank you for suffering through that with me. And I also want to acknowledge again and, uh, one of the accolades that Faith by Reason has recently received. We were voted one of the top 30 systematic theology podcasts on the Internet by Feedspot. So thank you again, Feedspot. I appreciate that. Links are in the show note. And yes, yeah, it's just nice to be recognized for that. Pretty cool. Okay, so this, this is part two of two of our Millennium series. In the last episode, we talked about what the Millennium was, that it is a thousand year period. Yes, a literal thousand years, one zero 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 years. I have to say that because there are people who still, as we said uh, last time, uh, who, who still don't acknowledge that it's an actual literal thousand years, even though the Bible says it over and over again is six times in that one passage. It's a thousand years where Jesus rules from Jerusalem. He's physically on earth ruling. And he again rules for that thousand year period. And he brings about perfect peace. There is no more warfare. Um, provision is provision is perfect. Everyone has everything they need to uh, eat and drink. There is perfect community um, where everyone is, is getting along pretty well. There is perfect justice. Justice is rendered out perfectly as well. And yeah, so that's what happens. It's, it's basically the fulfillment of the promises that God, that God, that Jehovah made to Abraham, that his descendants, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, will have um, a, a kingdom on earth and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. And this is the kingdom that the Jews have been waiting for. And this is the fulfillment of that. And uh, moreover, Satan, the devil, the Nahash is, is locked away for a thousand years. So there's no more spiritual evil on the, on the earth. So it it's, should be a pretty idyllic time. But then we find that despite all this perfection, man is still evil. Um, human beings are still still have a sin nature. And the first chance they get with Satan after a thousand years is over, um, Satan is released from his his holding from the holding box from from the penalty box. And when he is, he quickly gathers the humanity and they rebel and they try to um, overthrow Jesus as the ruler of the world. Yeah, smart move. Not so smart because then fire comes out from heaven and God devours them, and that's the end. So interesting time. But the question is why. What's the purpose of this? Why did God put this period of time into our history, our, our future history? Why is it there? What's the purpose of it? And that's what we're going to talk about in this week's episode. We talked about the what. Now we're going to talk about the why. 
why is this necessary? What, what is the point? And the point of it is the dispensations. We talked about this at the very, very, very beginning of, of Faith by Reason, really early on in the first few months. We talked about what the dispensations are and what the point of them is. So let's just talk about that because this is the last, this is the final dispensation. Now, I just want to say really quickly, I am not a quote unquote dispensationalist. I don't believe everything that dispensationalists believe. I use the term dispensation for the same reason that I use terms like the tribulation. Even though they're not biblically accurate, they are well known. So when I say tribulation, you know that I'm talking about the seven uh, seven year period, the seven last years of human and evil rule on the earth. When I say millennium, you know I'm talking about this thousand year period. I'm sorry, excuse me, when I say um, dispensation, you know that I'm talking about period of time and era where God deals with human beings differently. And that is very biblical. God does not deal with humanity the same way all the time throughout human history. God does not deal with man under the law the same way he deals with men during the period of grace. He doesn't deal with men during the period of grace the same way he did during the antediluvian, the pre-flood period, or during the period of Babel. God deals with men differently. Why? Well, these dispensations, and again, if the term dispensation triggers your religious hackles, then just call it, substitute the word, the words era of time. God does not deal with man in the same eras of time, the same as he does in other eras. Why is he doing this? The purpose of these eras, the purpose of the dispensations is God contrastively showing that his plan for mankind is the only one that would work. What is God's plan for mankind? Again, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Faith by Reason when we looked at the meaning of life. The meaning of life, the purpose of existence, is for man to be with God. That is God's purpose for us, to be with him. But in order to be with God, you have to be like God. How can you be like God? Well, technically, you have to choose to be. You're not. We're not God. We weren't made like God, but we have free will. God gifted us with free will. And because we have free will, we can choose to be like him. Now, because we don't have his nature, we don't perfectly choose to be like him. So the only way for us to do that, is, only way for that to happen is for us to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus and for him to take our sins and to give us his nature in our hearts. And and eventually when we leave this this mortality, um, we will be fully you know, spiritually one with, with, with God, with Jehovah, with Jesus. And then we will then we will be like him. We have to choose it. We have free will. We have to choose that. So since God is always completely right and just, his way of doing things is just, his redemption, this redemptive idea is just and it is right. However, if God had just just directly and unilaterally created man and then implemented redemption and redeemed us immediately, we'd be with him, we'd be in heaven. But then someone could say, hey, you know, God is great here, being in heaven, being with you is awesome. But how do you know that we wouldn't have chosen you on our own if we had the chance? It's a legitimate question. It's a question that's ultimately easy to answer. We wouldn't have. However, if God had implemented his plan without giving us the opportunity to choose him on our own, we could call God unjust because, you know, he, we don't know whether or not we would have chosen him on our own if not, on, on our own if not given the chance. So these dispensations are God's way of contrastively showing that we would never choose him on our own, that the only way we would choose him is if we had his spirit dwelling within us, which is what salvation is all about. So God put uh, had our, our entire history. It's a history of God proving 
that no matter what situation he reasonably gives us, we will always choose ourselves over him. And then it will be just for him to uh, finally implement his plan if, we, if, if he shows that there's no other option. So in every dispensation, the question is, if this X period, if this dispensation happened, would man choose God over himself? And the answer is always no. There are seven of these eras, seven of these dispensations. We'll go through them right now because it's been a while since we've talked about dispensations. So we might as well go through them right now again as a refresher for you. So the first dispensation is the so-called dispensation of innocence in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the question was, if man was completely innocent with no knowledge of good and evil, would he choose God over himself? The answer, of course, was no. He, man was, man and woman, Adam and Eve, were tempted by the Nahash, which means a shining one, it's incorrectly interpreted serpent. Like it wasn't a talking snake, it was a shining, luminescent being. It was one of the Elohim, one of the so called angels, in this case, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the Nahash, tempted them and they quickly fell. And just as, as, as an aside, this is something that I'm going to get into down the road quite a bit because after the after this revelation series is wrapped up, I'm going to do a series on the book of Genesis. And I've made some interesting discoveries that I can't wait to, to talk to everyone about. And one of them is that the origin of sin is desiring more than what God has allotted you for your happiness. Again, God is perfect. God knows he has all the information. He, he knows everything. So he knows what is perfect for us and what situation will make us happy. And if he gives us that situation, if we stay in it, we will optimally be happy. But every time we want more, that's when we fall into sin. So Adam and Eve should have been in a perfect state. They were in a perfect state. They should have been happy. They were happy, but they wanted more. They were they, they were the rulers of the world. They were they were given the they were the image bearers of God. They were made in God's image. They bared his image. Everything in creation obeyed them. They should have been happy, but they wanted more. They wanted to be more like the Elohim. And that's what the Nahash, what Satan tempted them with. They said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you will be like the Elohim, knowing good and evil. So they wanted more than what God gave them, and that led them into sin. So because of that, they fell. Um, God judged the the Nahash. And, and that's how all the dispensations end. When man fails, God renders a judgment, and they go on to the next one. So uh, the, the Nahash was judged permanently. And then an adjustment was made, and that led us to the next dispensation. The next dispensation was where God did the opposite. He said, okay, in the first dispensation, man had no knowledge of good and evil. So we'll do the opposite. We will give mankind long life where they will have time to amass all the knowledge they could ever want. So, if, so the question was, if man had hundreds of years of life to amass knowledge, would he use that knowledge to choose God over himself? And in the antediluvian period, the pre-flood period, man lived on an average of six, seven hundred years. If you look at the at the uh, the chronology, the ages in uh, the book of, of Genesis, uh, mostly uh, uh, chapters four and five. Did they do it? No. What happened during that time is you had the fallen angels, the fallen Elohim came down. We see this in Genesis chapter six and also in the pseudepigraphal book of Enoch. Certain Elohim came down and they married women. Why did they marry the women? Well, two reasons. Number one, they wanted the offspring, but also these women were given to them in marriage. It says in Genesis chapter six that they took wives. But if you look at the actual uh, the, the, the language and the, the grammar and the syntax, 
they took wives, but they but these wives were given to them. The act of taking a wife meant that it was a process of the fathers of these uh, wives of these women gave their their daughters over to these Elohim. That was that was a tradition back then. And, and, to, and again, it's kind of mimic to this day when you, when you have a marriage and the father gives away the bride. They gave it to them for additional knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge, hidden knowledge of the Elohim. They wanted more knowledge than they were allotted. And, this, and the book of Enoch talks about exactly what kind of knowledge they were given. The, the fallen Elohim gave them knowledge of spell casting, of root cutting, of warfare. The, the Elohim um, Azazel taught them how to how to make weapons of war, how to smelt metals, and they were taught astrology, and they were taught again root cutting. They were taught they were taught makeup. They were taught women were taught how to put on makeup. Now on the surface that, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but if you keep in mind why were they, they were told that they wanted to be more beautiful. They had you know women have natural beauty, but if you beautify your eyelids and your lips now, you know, with 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 makeup, with cosmetology, it makes you more beautiful, more seductive, and with that that seductive power, they had more power over men. Men were you know we're pretty simple creatures. We we are easily swayed by sexuality, and they taught basically they taught women how to seduce men to get what they want. So it was just a whole bunch of things that that were introduced to mankind. Knowledge that was introduced that they were not supposed to have. In addition to that. The, the Nephilim were the result of, of these Elohim having sexual intercourse with women. And the Nephilim, we've talked about them many, many times. They were physically, they were um, um, uh, human angelic hybrids. They were physically large. They were giants. They were much more powerful uh, physically than human beings. And they began to destroy all the works of men. They devoured all the produce of men. And then it says in the book of Enoch that when they ran out of the food that man uh, made, they started cannibalizing human beings. To when you got down to the time of Noah, to, Noah was. It's implied that he was the only pure. Him and his family were the only pure, pure human beings left. They had basically destroyed, devoured, killed all other humanity by the time of the flood. Obviously, this was a failed dispensation. They chose, man chose these fallen angels, these fallen Elohim over God, and God had to have had to judge them by sending the flood, wiping out the Nephilim. The next dispensation got shortened lives down to 120 years, which gave man a sense of urgency and focus. So the question in the third dispensation was, if man was given a singular purpose, would he use that energy to choose God over himself? The answer, again, was no. Once man had uh, had this focus, instead of doing what God said, which was to you know spread all over the earth and you know, make the earth Eden, they gathered, they did the opposite. They gathered in one place under the dictator Nimrod. We've talked about Nimrod quite a bit. You can go back to the series on the Antichrist and we show how he's going to make his return. They they got together and they built a tower to to the heavens, not because of height. It, was, it wasn't a, a, a tower because they thought the heavens were in the sky. That's silly. No, they were big, built a ziggurat, which was a sacrificial altar where they would do blood sacrifices to thin the veil between heaven and earth so that they could literally invade heaven. They wanted more. They wanted. Uh, they didn't just want to be rulers of earth. They wanted to be rulers of, of heaven as well. They wanted to invade the spiritual realm. And God clearly said that they would have succeeded, but God confused the languages. So again, man chose himself over God. God confused the languages. And he essentially, he disinherited the mankind. He was done dealing with man as a whole. He divided the he divided man into nations. 
and he took his own nation for the next dispensation, and his nation will come from a man named Abraham. And in this dispensation, he he made you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants a nation, and he decided to have people decide whether they wanted to him or whether they wanted to be on God's side or not by how they treated this nation. He said, "I will bless them." He told Abraham, "I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you." So the dispensation was, if you how will you treat Israel? How will you treat this nation? Will you choose me, use my nation over the other nations that, and they had other Elohim put over those nations. And of course, all those Elohim quickly fell because they were worshiped and worship corrupts you. So he had all the different nations of the world um, being over, being uh, ruled by corrupt Elohim, but you had the nation of Israel, which was God's nation. And the way it worked out was that um, uh, a famine drove the descendants of Jacob into Egypt, which had, by that time had conquered the world. They were the primary nation. And how they treated Israel dictated how this dispensation went. And at first it went well. They treated Israel well. The, um, the, the Pharaoh, thanks to having um, Jacob's son, Joseph, as, as his prime minister, he favored them. He gave them the Jews, the um, excuse me, the Israelites, great uh, land, and they prospered. And because they prospered, and he treated them well. They were blessed. God was true to His word, and and again, Egypt became the greatest. Egypt became the greatest nation on earth. However, another Pharaoh came, and he despised Israel. He made them slaves for four hundred years, and then God, through Moses, came to to Pharaoh and said, "You know, let my people go on a three day, on a three day journey to go worship me." Pharaoh instead doubled down on their slavery and made their lives hard. So he basically rejected Israel. He rejected. He treated them poorly. They, that dispensation failed and God judged them through the plagues of Egypt, which were basically aimed towards the fallen Elohim, who were the gods over Egypt. He, he destroyed them. He destroyed Egypt through that. And he destroyed the Egyptian culture and their, their hegemony through that. And the Israelites left. So that dispensation failed. And now we get to the dispensation of the law, ultimately culminating with the Messiah. In the dispensation of the law, all the there are two purposes of, of the Levitical laws in, in in the book of Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. One was civil laws. These are civil laws to separate Israel from other nations, and to make them healthy and wealthy. And if they obeyed those civil laws, they God would bless them materially. And there were also the ceremonial laws, all the different festivals and sacrifices. These were all a dress rehearsal for the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer, who God promised at. Um, in Genesis chapter three. So the purpose was that Israel would obey the law, God would bless them materially, other nations would see these blessings, they'd want to be a part of it, and they would then they would adopt these same laws, and over hundreds of years the entire world would be obeying the law of God, and then Jesus would come, he would sacrifice himself for sins, and the whole world would be redeemed. Of course that didn't work because Israel was extremely disobedient to the civil laws and as far as the rituals were concerned they were so corrupted by the religious leaders the pharisees and by the time that jesus arrived you know a few hundred several hundred years later they didn't recognize him they had so corrupted the laws that prophesied jesus first coming that when jesus came as a suffering servant they didn't want him they weren't a conquering king we've talked about this many times on faith by reason jesus was rejected he was killed and showing that they chose themselves, they, the Israelites, uh, the Israelite leadership, the Pharisees, chose 
their interpretation of the Bible over God's and they rejected him. So that ended that dispensation and that was judged in 70 AD when Israel was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed and driven out and, they, and Jews, Jews didn't inhabit Israel again until uh, 1948, so almost 2000 years. All right, that leads us to the sixth dispensation, which is the one we're in right now. That's the dispensation of grace with Christianity. So instead of having laws written on tablets and rituals and things like that, in this dispensation, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would dwell in all those who believe in Jesus. And we would get day by day, moment by moment, guidance. So God would live in our hearts and he would guide us. And the question was, if God lived within our hearts, giving us day to day guidance, would we then choose God over ourselves? And as with all dispensations, it failed. We talked about this in our series on the church on and during the Revelation series. In around the 60s, 1960s, the church, which was had gotten kind of fat and happy and didn't was very comfortable, decided to go without an orthodox definition of God. They didn't want to rock the boat. They didn't want to be controversial. They just wanted to again stay comfortable. So they said, we can't define who God is. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. We can't, we're not going to go with an orthodox um, definition of who God is, meaning that each individual gets to define what God is. If you can define who God is, then that means you're greater than God. If you can define something, then you're greater than it. So basically through that, the church chose themselves over God. I believe that happened in the 60s, meaning that our, the dispensation has failed again. Because again, the church chose themselves over the orthodox definition and statues of God, which he gave us in the Bible. Then, and I, I think that the judgment is going to be the tribulation. But before that, you have the rapture and the church is taken out. And then I believe there's a what I call a mini dispensation. It's not an official one. So, you, so instead of saying seven dispensations, maybe they're more like seven and a half. And that's the uh, it happens in Genesis, excuse me, in Revelation chapter six, where you have the four horsemen. And this is the dispensation where Satan gets his gets unfettered access to the world to rule it. Before this, before the four horsemen, the beginning, I believe at the very beginning part of the tribulation, right before it begins. Satan has never had unfettered control over the world. It's always been the Holy Spirit there to kind of thwart him. But I think God at this point says he takes his church out of the world through the rapture, the believing church. And he says, hey, you know what? You guys have wanted Satan all this time. You got him. And of course, it's going to be devastating. And man chooses himself over God again by blaming what happens in the, the four, four horsemen. It's a false apocalypse. I'm not going to get into the details on that. You can go to the series, uh, look at the four horsemen. But basically, Satan has a false apocalypse to bring in his false messiah, the Antichrist, and the world chooses the Antichrist over God. They actually blame God for what Satan has done, and it says, and, and they call it the wrath of the Lamb. And it's not the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of Jesus. This is not from Jesus. This is from Satan, but they accept him instead, accepting Antichrist. And that brings us finally to this final dispensation, the millennium, the last chance. What is the millennium all about? Or at least what's it about from a dispensational standpoint? What has man always said he wanted? What has man always complained to God about for their disbelief, for their, their, their lack of understanding, their uh, unwillingness to make God the head of their lives? They will say, well, God, this world isn't perfect. If you were really God, if you were really all powerful and all loving and all good, you would make the world perfect. You would give 
there would be no famines, there would be no war, there would be no conflict, there'd be no injustice, there'd be no corruption in government. But because of this terrible world we live in with corruption, with famine, with war, with disease, with murder, with injustice, that's why we are the way we are. But if you made it our world perfect, then we would be on your side. We'd believe in you then. You hear atheists say this all the time. If there was, if God was a loving God, why is there evil in the world? And God says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you everything you claim you wanted. You want perfect government? I'm going to give you perfect government. Government ruled by Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, always and completely right and just. Nothing he does is wrong. Nothing he does is unjust. He is not corruptible. He can't be lobbied. He can't be bought off. He's not trying to conquer anyone. He's not trying to do genocides. He's not doing all. He's not going to overtax you. He's not going to do any of the things that corrupt governments have done. You're going to have perfect government. You're going to have perfect provision. Everyone will have enough to eat. There'll be more than enough food available to everyone. And it will be distributed equally. I talked about this last time a bit when I quoted some of the verses that give um, description of the millennium. It's going to be a time of perfect provision. No one will be hungry. You'll have everything. There'll be no more famines. There'll be no more war. Again, in the verses it said, men will learn war no more. There will not be any conflict between nations. There will be no war. There will be perfect community. Everyone will know their role. Everyone will get along. There will be perfect health. People will live hundreds of years. Believers will, at least, live hundreds of years. There will be perfect health. Everything will be perfect. And there will be perfect justice. No one gets away with anything. No one's going to be able to cheat you. No one's going to be able to steal from you. No one's going to be able to take advantage of you and get away with it. Justice will be equaled out immediately by Jesus himself and through the people who rule and reign with Jesus, who if you're a Christian, you'll be one of them, Christians and and the uh, believing Jews. We will be executing that justice on behalf of Jesus. It will be everything mankind claims they want and they will absolutely hate it. Why? It's a matter of having a skewed perspective. But moreover, it's the idea that man's man is evil because of external circumstances. They say that we man is only bad because his circumstances are bad. It's you know the old nature versus nurture argument. Is it it's the environment that makes men evil? No, it's not the environment. It's man's nature. And this dispensation finally proves that because again, everything is man has everything they claim they want, but they are still evil. Why? Because it's nature. Our, our nature is evil. Here's what people incorrectly think when they say, why doesn't God stop evil? Isn't that what you hear all the time from your atheist agnostic friends? Why doesn't God stop evil? What they mean is, why doesn't God stop things like war, things like genocide, things like rape and murder and child molestation? Those are horrible things. These are big, huge evils, but they're done by a few people. Most people aren't murderers. Most people aren't rapists. Most people don't molest children. Most people don't start wars. Most people don't commit genocides. Most people don't intentionally cause famines. This is done by a very few people. So what they're really saying, when they say, why doesn't God stop evil? What they're really saying is, why doesn't God stop the big evils that other people do? Here's the thing. If God is going to be just and stop evil, he can't just stop the big evils that other people do. He'd have to also stop the little evils that you do. And no one wants that. No one wants to stop the little evils because we do them and we, we don't think they're that big a deal. But 
if God is going to be is going to stop evil, he has to stop all evil. That means he has to stop you from lying. Not just big lies. How about the little lies? How about when your spouse comes to you and says, hey, how do I look in this outfit? And they look terrible. And you say, oh, no, no, you look fine. That's a lie. Not a big lie, but it's a lie. He'd have to stop it. What about when you cheat? And we all cheat. You cheat on your taxes. You don't report all of your income or you try to get away with a few things. You have to stop that too. He'd have to stop you from stealing. Not just like going into a store and taking a TV and running out with it. No one, very few people do that. But what about when you're at work and your employer is paying you to work eight hours, but you spend an hour of your day surfing the internet, looking for some clothes or some shoes or, or reading your favorite uh, blog or, or whatever. Well, if you get paid for eight hours and you've only worked seven, you're technically stealing. He'd have to stop that too. What about when you lose your temper? Someone cuts you off on the freeway. That's a sin. What about when you yell at your, your kids? That's a sin. What about when you get what about when you look at another person with lust in your heart and you want to and you desire them? You don't have to you don't do anything, but you just look like, oh my God, that person looks great. That's a sin. Jesus said himself, if you look at someone who's not your spouse sexually, you are committing adultery in your heart. You're like, wow, that's not a big deal, but technically it's a sin. God would have to stop all of those sins. Your sins too. And no one thinks about that. They say think about the sins other people do, not about their own. And if God smacks you upside the head every time he does something wrong or every time any of us did something wrong, imagine how that would be. You see you see a hot girl or a hot guy and you think, oh, my God, they look beautiful. Smack. Oh, well, you know, I've got to work eight hours a day, but, you know, I don't want to I, 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 I want to buy this new pair of Nikes just, I just saw. I want to I want to you know, plan my vacation. Smack. Oh, hey, baby, how do I look in this dress? Oh, you look fine, even though you've got to you know, you're not looking that great. Smack. Every, you know, oh, someone coming off the door, oh, I can't stand that person. Smack. You gossip. Smack. You steal. Smack. You lie. Smack. 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 You be getting, you be hearing nothing but smacks all day because God would have to stop all of your sins. And that's what's going to happen in the millennium. In the millennium, all of your sins will be judged instantly and you're going to hate it. And I say, yeah, I mean, the people there are going to hate it. They're going to feel oppressed. They're going to feel as if they can't have no freedom because they can't do anything wrong. And they're going to decry it and say, this Jesus, who's supposed to be this loving God, he won't let me do anything. I can't make a mistake without him judging me. They're going to hate it. They're going to hate it for a thousand years, even though it's everything they said they wanted. The truth is, the evil in man is not due to external circumstances. It is due to man's heart. Man's heart is in, is 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 irredeemably corrupt in this thousand years of perfect government precision uh, provision peace uh, justice is going to prove that men will be man will be divided into nations and it says I, I read it in the last episode that um, the nations will be there'll be one rule for the nations they'll be required to to send representatives to Israel every year for the Feast of, of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which actually is a, is a, is a representative of this time period. The, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is a precursor to the, the millennium. They'll be, they'll be asked to come up every, every year and, and do the celebration. And some of them won't do it because there's a punishment for not doing it. Some nations are going to say, hey, we're sick of this hardcore rule of Jesus not letting us be sinful like we want to be and we're not going to go. And their nation won't get rain. But they, there will be evil. And after that thousand years of everything man claimed they truly wanted, Satan will be released and man will be so ready to rebel that it will take virtually no time for Satan to raise an army 
of millions and millions of people. It says there's the stand of the sea. Will do. So we're talking millions, if not billions of people at this point, will surround Jerusalem and try to overthrow it. Even after, again, getting everything they wanted, they will still rebel as soon as they possibly can. So this dispensation fails, just like all of them fail. Not because of anything God did, but because man is irredeemably evil. And it says fire comes down from heaven and devours all the armies. And that's it. That dispensation's over. It's been judged. But what it shows is that there is no circumstance under which man will ever choose God over himself. We are irredeemably evil. We just are. We, will, we are irredeemably ungodly. We are not right and just. And on our own, we will never be right and just. Whether we're innocent, whether we have all the knowledge we have ever wanted, whether we have singular purpose, whether we are dealing with nations, whether we have a redeemer who actually comes and dies for us, whether God lives in our hearts and, and, and guides us day by day, or whether we have Jesus ruling physically and giving us everything we wanted, no matter what, we will always fall. We will never choose God over ourselves. So the contrastive experiment is done. Our history is over. It has been, again, conclusively proven that only God's plan of redemption will help us, will allow us to become like him, to dwell with him. And with that done, God's ready to implement his plan because he's shown that no other plan is going to work. But before he does that, he has to equal out justice. There's been evil that's been committed over the millennia. And it has to be judged. And after it's judged, then God can implement his plan because justice will be served. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. In the next episode, we talk about the great white throne judgment. This is when all of man's evil gets their comeuppance. The spiritual evil has already been judged. That was in the past. And Armageddon was the finale of that. But every human being who's ever lived, if you have not chosen Jesus, if you if you've not had Jesus be the um, the redeemer of your sins, then you your sins are still on you and you have to be judged for it. So everyone who's ever done evil and has not been forgiven, it's judgment time. And that's going to lead to hell, the lake of fire. Not a pleasant thing. But we will start talking about that next time. So thank you for listening and watching. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to faithbyreason.net by going to the website and putting your email in the right navigation bar or subscribing on YouTube or whatever um, channel you might be listening to and watching this on. And we will talk to you next time when we go over the final judgment of man's evil.